Anthony Chikumba. This is his younger, more handsome, and much more successful brother, Anthony Chikumba. And my pronouns are he and his. Why exactly am I here? That's an excellent question. Today, The Dads, a documentary that follows Dennis Shepard, the father of Matthew Shepard, and five disparate fathers on a camping trip as they discuss love, hopes, and fears for their transgender children premiered on Netflix. Let's listen to the trailer. So many trans families don't make it because the dads aren't on board. They gotta fucking figure out why they're afraid. Dads have that masculine image they want to try and keep up. They have to get out and speak. They have to show people that they support their child uh, 100%. It was important for me as a father to speak out. The thread that connects us all is that we love our children and are willing to put everything on the line for other people's children as well. In some ways, it's gotten a lot better, and in other ways, it's also a very scary time. We all need to get back into the fight. We're not doing it with our heads bowed. We're doing it with a full-throated support of this movement. We're letting people know we're here. We're not going to shy away. We're not going to be in the shadows. We're not going to be scared. We're going to confront this head-on because that's all we can do. We have to make the way safe for our children. In celebration of the dad's debut, I am honored to be guest hosting the podcast today and turning the tables a bit by having two of the stars of the film, my brother and one of the regular hosts, Stephen Chacumba, and his co-host, Lizette Trujillo's husband, Jose, a.k.a. Chewy, as our featured guest. So welcome once again to the Parent Advocate Podcast, and let's get right into it. So first off, hello, Stephen and Jose, and thank you so much for joining me today. Although in Stephen's case, he kind of didn't have a choice since this is his podcast. Before we get started, Jose, would you like to be called Jose or Chewy? Uh, either, either one. Jose probably most people know me by. Okay, we'll go with Jose. So I guess my first question, and this is for, for each of you, and maybe we'll start with Jose since I already know, you know Stephen's life story for the most part. Jose, maybe if you can tell us about your early life, your family background, and your experience with the LGBTQ community prior to Daniel coming out as transgender. Absolutely, and uh, thank you for hosting this, uh, Anthony. My background is, uh, so I'm Mexican. My background is very typical, uh, Catholic, Roman Catholic, very conservative background. I'm the youngest of a family of 10. Wow. And and, and so the background I come from is is very uh, traditional. My parents were ranchers in Mexico, in rural Mexico, and uh, very Catholic, you know, that the whole the whole thing mass on Sundays you know da 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 and so I grew up a bit more uh, rebellious I guess to that as I started getting older I started pushing that idea of of religion and and traditional values and that kind of thing it, it I didn't resonate so much maybe because I I grew up in the U S I didn't resonate so much with it and so yeah it was it was definitely something different growing up in, in regards to LGBTQ plus it was something we didn't talk about. You know, we we, 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 we had friends, uh, we knew people, right? Of, of course, friends, family. It was something not talked about. And, and if it 
And if it was brought up, it somehow it had to do with some BS religious thing on it and it just, you know, just demonizing it and whatnot. When I, I used to be a musician, when I went out and played, well, I had I had friends from all walks of life. You know, I, I used to I used to play in, in different bands and venues and whatnot. And so I, I became friends with different different people. And uh, one of the things that I noticed was that in the LGBTQ plus community, the, the T trans folks uh, seemed, at least from my perspective, seemed to be treated the worst by society. That was my idea. That was my 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 experience. And so um, when we had our, our son come out, um, the first thing that popped in my head was fear. You know, it was fear. It was like, right. they do not treat them well in society. That was like the first thing that, that came to me. And so that was that was my, my own uh, understanding uh, with my own ignorance and everything in there. Got it. Stephen, same question for you. So we also grew up in a Catholic household. Also, we were the children of immigrants. And so for the most part, my understanding of life was framed by how we were raised. We went to Catholic elementary schools. We went to Catholic high schools. Our father took us to church every Sunday. We were expected to be dressed nicely. We did all the things that you traditionally do, baptize, confirmation, first communion, all the things. And in my household, there wasn't really a lot of talk about the LGBTQ plus community. I'm a child of the 70s. Like I was born in 1970. And so growing up, for the most part, you saw people who were gay or lesbian. You saw people that back in the day you would identify as like transvestite more than you would hear the word transgender. It wasn't a thing. You saw men in drag and you thought there was something amiss with them. And for the most part growing up, people in the LGBTQ plus community were demonized. Like they were not accepted by the community at large at all. If you knew somebody who you thought or you suspected was gay, you were clowning them. You were right. not taking those people into your friend network. They were for the most part ostracized. If you even appeared effeminate at all as a man, you were getting clowned or you were getting bullied or you were getting beaten up. And so for the most part, my perspective of the LGBTQ plus community was one of people who were ostracized, people who were deviants in society, people who you did not take into your inner circle. And for the most part, you didn't really try to associate with because associating with them somehow was a stain on you and your character and or you were associated with that thing. Like growing up, there was this thing called like no homo or you gay as hell or all of the pejoratives you can right. think of were things that we just accepted. That was the reality. Don't be gay. You know what I'm saying? If you are gay, then nobody's going to mess with you. If you gay, you gay and get the hell away from me. And it wasn't the kind of thing where there was compassion or empathy or understanding. It was just like there was one way to be and you were that way or you weren't. And if you weren't, then shame on you. And so the learning curve that I had when my son invited me into his identity was part of a continuum that I had been going over through the years. I don't I couldn't tell you the exact point where I started to think, oh, well, you know, gay people aren't so bad. You know what I mean? Like gay men aren't so bad, but there was a point in time where it wasn't so bad to be gay. And I didn't have that same negative impression of gay, lesbian and what have you. And much like Jose, I didn't know any trans people or I didn't know that I knew any trans people. So the whole world of trans people was just something that was completely foreign to me. Got it. Got it. Now that makes sense. 
transvestite. I have not heard that term in so long. I, I'd sort of forgotten about it. So, wow, that really kind of took me back. So, I mean, I don't mean to get right into your feelings, but I'm going to get right into your feelings. Like, how did you both view your roles as fathers? How did that change after Hobbes came out, after Daniel came out? Like, talk to me about that. Maybe we'll start with Jose. Oh, man. Yeah, we're getting into the into the feels of it. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> That's um, how I do. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm here for it. The way I was raised. It was very uh, a macho culture, you know. You are a man, and this is the way you are. And following up with what Stephen mentioned, you know, like if you don't embody this macho character, then you are very much nothing, you know. Especially, especially for 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 uh, rural communities in Mexico, uh, that type of stuff. So that was the idea I had of myself, whether I wanted to or not. It was just it was just the idea of myself and thinking uh, as a person as. As a as a father who's gonna take care of his kids and his wife and 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 da 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 da, like like doing all the things that that a Mexican man who's become a father is supposed to be. It comes with a lot of baggage, you know. I'm sure I can't speak for 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 y'all, but I'm, I'm sure this is uh is there, there's something of that as well in in uh, your culture. When Daniel came came out to us, there was this there was this shift, you know, that there was a shift in me that was like, I I cannot continue with this macho bullshit and love this this child. There has to be a it was more like an awareness. And you know, and I and I never really was the the, the macho type. It was more of my older brothers, but I kind of try to follow suit, be in line with those values and that way of being. But it's not very inclusive. It's not inclusive at all. It's either it's 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 me and and that's it. You know, it's uh, so having a child who's trans, it was a very different thing. And and al- although I I have to admit I I didn't I never felt personally I never felt uh, a transphobia or homophobia. I I didn't feel those things, but I did feel like I had a role and my kid was going to have that role as well. And so I don't remember feeling like, oh, I don't I don't know what to do with this kid or having those those feelings. It was more of how am I going to show up for him now instead of having my kid show up for me, which is very traditional in, in my upbringing. It was, did I make you proud, Dad? Am I am I strong enough? Am I macho enough? Am I, you know, am I am I being this person to make you proud? Instead of doing that, I have to I have to reverse it and I have to flip it and be like, okay, how am I going to show up for him rather than expect him to show up for me in this way? I don't know if that makes that, any sense. So it makes all the sense in the world, and I'm already tearing up. Like I'm not going to make it through this whole thing. I'm not even going to make through this whole thing. Like you guys are turning the tables on me right now. Okay, you're turning the tables on me. So, but anyway, let's let's keep it moving. Stephen, same question for you. And and just I can't be getting to my feelings like so soon into the podcast. Okay, so do what you need to do so I don't cry. Listen. You said before you asked this question, you were going to get right into the feelings. So you're going to have to own the fact that you set us on this path. But I think very much to what Jose said, before Hobbes invited me in to his identity, I was very much just a dad on the sidelines. Their mom was on the front lines. Their mom was the one who did all the frontline work. She was home with them. She did all the rearing. And once she was gone, once she passed away and I was left to raise these kids by myself, I just stepped in and did what I had to do. I didn't have a choice. In that respect, 
I was raising boys and girls. And I had to be sensitive to the ways in which you have to model behavior for your daughters and your sons. If I wanted my children to be respectful of other people, then I had to demonstrate respect for other people. And this was part of where my thinking about who I was and how I showed up started to change because I couldn't be making fun of other people if I wanted my children to be respectful of other people. I couldn't be clowning gay, lesbian, queer people if my children we're going to encounter or potentially become gay, lesbian, or queer people. And so my frame of reference for the world was informed very much by what I wanted my children to see and the way I behaved and the way I treated other people. And when Hobbes invited me in and showed me who he was, it became even more important that I got rid of any of those vestiges of transphobia and homophobia because I did have them. I absolutely had them. I was absolutely one of those people who was no homoing. If somebody did something, a male on male form of affection, I was automatically default setting, acting as if that affection between men was just a, just a, a place I was not gonna go. It was a step too far and I wasn't down with that. Even if it had nothing to do with any sort of sexual interest, just the fact that other people looking at me Hugging on a dude could perceive me as somehow being in some sort of intimate relationship with a dude was something I had to get rid of, something I had to actively fight against because there's absolutely nothing wrong. I had to stop telling my children, my male children specifically, not to cry if they hurt themselves. I had to think about not sending those types of messages because those messages are harmful. Those messages are how we now don't have the ability as men to cry, to be vulnerable, to show emotion because that is perceived as weak. And it's just like Jose said, like you want to emulate being strong and supportive and masculine, but I don't want being masculine to be a pejorative. And I also don't want it to be some sort of badge of honor such that you aspire to, to the exclusion of the other side, the feminine side of being a man which means you can also be nurturing, which means you can be also compassionate, which means you can be caring, which means you can be emotional. I didn't want those to be things that my my children saw as off limits for them. And so it became very clear for me when Hobbes identified who he was, that I was cognizant of how do I raise children who are good human beings, irrespective of their gender assignment at birth. How do I raise good human beings that learn how to respect, honor other people and not feel like because of how they identify, they're somehow less than? It was very important to me. And as a father, as a parent, F father, as a parent, it was important to me that I thought about how I showed up for my children so that they show up for other people in the same sort of compassionate, empathetic, caring, and loving way. Got it. Got it. Really, really insightful from both of you. So this question is is uh, is really just for Jose. So you know, look, Jose, I have a pretty good idea about Stephen and Lizette's ongoing advocacy for listening to the podcast. By the way, make sure to like, follow, and subscribe, and give us a five star review. Uh, and also from following Stephen on social media, Jose, can you fill us in on how your personal advocacy manifests itself? Uh, yeah, absolutely. My advocacy is more in a, uh, I would say it's more on a on a on a one on one personal level. Then and, and and not to say that Lizette or or Stephen is not, but I think I think definitely Lizette and Stephen are much more involved, especially in in forums or uh, in groups and 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 it, just doing big things. You know, uh, I know for a fact Lizette is is like 
see with without her i i have no idea what would be of my growth and or of our household and so i know that she has uh been doing a lot of work and my 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 role is more of a supportive role it's more of a okay how do i show up at home how do i show up in spaces uh just in in daily life how do i show up how do i how do i how am i an agent of of inclusivity in this space wherever space i find myself you know sort of uh yeah just a very a very personal level whether i'm with family or friends or or, or i'm making a video as i'm painting a youtube channel or whatever how do i show up in that in that moment so that people um feel like i'm a, I'm, a, I'm a safe space for them you know they don't have to hide who they are they don't have to uh shield or pretend anything else and 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 uh yeah to me that's 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 really how i that's my function got it and look i mean so being supportive is so important but don't you know i would say to you like don't downplay what you did you were in the dads right and it's on netflix it just came out today and millions of people are going to see it and that's a big deal you put yourself out there so but but that is really important. Being supportive is important, and, and even just the one-on-one advocacy incredibly important as well. So you know, thanks for uh, thanks for uh, that that answer. So um, let's start to talk about your relationship, you being Jose and Stephen, and also let's jump into the dads because that's why we're here to talk about the dads. I guess my question for either of you, the first part: How did you first meet? Maybe maybe Stephen, you can give your your side of the story. So. In, I want to say February of 2019, I was invited to the very first, my very first Parents for Transgender Equality convening at the Human Rights Campaign Foundation's offices in Washington, D.C. And Jose, Lisette, and Daniel were all present at that convening. And I sat across from them. They had the conference room set up like a big U with the tables. And so everyone sat around the perimeter on the outside of the tables. And I sat across from Daniel, Jose, and Lisette. And I wasn't even sure if, if Jose was there like the very beginning, but I saw Daniel and he was drawing. He spent the whole time drawing and he, he was doing portraits and it was really beautiful. And Lisette was actively engaged in every single conversation because Lisette is in parent groups. She does the work. She is boots on the ground all the time. And I was really impressed with her. And then I saw this dude, you know, glasses, looking real artsy fartsy, kind of show up later, all late and wrong. And I was like, who is this joker? He sat down next to Lisette. She introduced him as her husband and Daniel's father. And I was like, dude, he's not serious. But come to find out, we're like two peas in a pod. Anywhere Jose is, I want to be. We're always joking. We're always laughing. We're always having a good time. Neither of us take ourselves particularly seriously. We're very self-deprecating. But my first meeting of him was February of like, no, 2020. 2020 it was right before the pandemic in DC at the HRC's offices. And we've been thick as thieves ever since. Okay, so Stephen, you actually answered your perspective on what my next question is going to be. So I'll just throw this to to Jose. And Jose, I want you to be 100% honest, okay? I want you to keep it 100. What was your honest first impression of Stephen Chicumba? Jose, I'm going to see you. <laughs> 
I'm going to see you in like three weeks. Whatever you say, keep be it 100. Keep I'm it 100. See you in three keep weeks. it 100. I got your back, Jose. Keep it 100. He's in Chicago, Jose. He's not going to be here. <laughs> no, no. I got I to keep it real. I got to keep it real. As soon as I saw Steven, I, I'm, I'm going to keep it real, okay? I was like, it, 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 it's going to be cheesy. It's going to be cheesy as hell. But I was like, bro, I'm going to be friends with this dude, man. That's the first thing I thought. I'm going to be friends with you. Yes! And the, the, the reason why is because people with sense of humor, and you know, Steven is like just burst, burst humor. People with sense of humor are, to me, to me, right, are not only highly intelligent, they're humble. You have to have, you have to be, you have to be humble if you have such sense of humor because there's a lot of self-deprecation going on. And the other thing is they're not afraid to speak out, to say something. And I was like, dude, I'm going to be friends with him because usually in spaces like this and special spaces of advocacy, I've been, I've been in, in, in different spaces, uh, not like HRC, but but similar where, where there's people advocating and, and, and this kind of thing, especially in a- academia. What I find is that people take themselves too serious. I don't know. I just, I've always had a problem with people that take themselves too serious. It's like, dude, make fun of yourself a little, you know, and then it makes me feel like you're real. And that's the first thing. I just I was like, I'm going to be friends with him. I'm, I'm going to sit close to him. I'm going to go hug him. I'm, I, whatever it is, whatever it is. But I'm, I'm going to be close to this dude. Because I don't know, he's just vibing. Yeah, and we so... hug all the time. We hug all the time. <laughs> like Chewy is a good hugger too. So like I'm gonna see this dude. He's gonna get one of my panted bear hugs. And it's <laughs> it's interesting because you don't. It, it's so true. You don't get that all the time, especially in these kinds of spaces. You don't get people who are willing to just be the butt of a joke and not feel any kind of way about being the butt of the joke. Like if I'm gonna make myself a heel. I'm going to bring your defenses down so that we can get into the real work. Because once you are, once you feel safe, laughter makes people feel safe. Laughter makes people feel seen. And so once you can be in a room and in a space where people are feeling like it's going to be good, we're laughing, we're getting it all out because laughing is emotive. It helps you to emote. Once you get that out of the way, people can be real. People can say and do things that they might not have otherwise if they were feeling guarded or scared. And so I definitely know that when you're in spaces with people who can be funny, whether they're telling jokes or they're laughing at jokes, it makes getting the real work done a lot easier. Uh, Steven was one of the only Black people there. And I was like, I don't know. I just felt like I connected right away. So let's jump into the dads. Um, And I guess my first question, at what point, did you guys realize the dads was starting to break through and starting to become a thing? Because Stephen, if I remember correctly, and and definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but you were initially confused about why the director Lucina Fisher was even interested in coming along to film the, the camping trip. What at what point did you guys realize, like, wow, this is a thing? It wasn't a thing for us really until South by Southwest, because right. it was at the screening at South. It was the fact that we were invited to South by Southwest to screen the film. That was the first thing, because South by Southwest is one of the biggest festivals, music festivals, film festivals, speaker festivals in the country, perhaps arguably in the world. And so being on that platform for us was a really big deal because I, not Lucina, I was not supposed to be 
in the dads. I was the one who forced my way into this fishing trip because Lucina, she was like listening to Frank and Dennis and Wayne talk about this. And she was just like, oh, I, it would be great if there were cameras there. And I was like, it would also be great if I was there. So <laughs> there's no way you're not inviting me. And somehow I think we roped in Jose because Jose and Frank were close. And, you know, Peter became like the last person invited because of his relationship with Wayne. But I was just like, if I'm going, Jose is going. Because if Frank's going, there's no way he's going without us. So it was just one of those things where we were just like, you know, adding ourselves in like forcing our way into conversations because we wanted to be there. But it wasn't until well after it was done that we were like, wow, there there really is something here. Because I, you know, I hadn't seen it until the screening. So I had no idea what the film was like. She was with us for three days. She caught a lot of stuff. I didn't know which of those conversations made it into the film. And it wasn't literally until South by Southwest when we saw it, we were like, wow, that's really powerful. Like I was crying when I saw it, like I was choked up. I was really emotional. And I was like, wow, if I'm having this visceral response to it, and I was in it. I, I said the things, we did the things, we were there on this trip. And yet it was still something that moved me that I was like, wow, okay, there really is something here. And it's a short, it's it's like 11 minutes long. Right, so you, right. it would have this kind of gut punching impact, but it really does. So I'm going to interject here uh, a little bit, um, even though I wasn't in the dads at all. Honestly, I remember it very vividly. I woke up one morning, I just checked my LinkedIn. I saw a post from you, Stephen, about this documentary that you were in that was going to be at South by Southwest. I had no idea that you had even filmed it because you hadn't shared that with me. I'm very, very familiar with South by Southwest. I'm, you know, I'm a bit of a, you know, a movie person. And so, and I was just like, this is big. And Stephen, if you recall correctly, I called you and said, Stephen, you need to have a podcast. Because I just had this epiphany where I was just like, you are blowing up and people need to hear what you have to say. I um, recall because you are now the official, unofficial executive producer of the Parent Advocate Podcast. Hence, you are also the host of this special that we're in. And try as I might, I can't get rid of you. <laughs> okay, um, you said official, unofficial. Okay, let's get the nomenclature correct. It's self-appointed executive producer. Self-appointed, okay? Self-appointed. <laughs> anyway, so I, I've been a longtime follower of the NBA, and I was always a fan of Dwayne Wade. I remember him playing at Marquette. In the final four, remember, he started with the Heat, won a ring with Shaquille O'Neal, won a couple more rings with LeBron James. And I've become an even bigger fan of his as he supported his transgendered daughter, Zaya. What does it mean to the two of you to have him become an executive producer of the dads? Maybe I'll start with Jose. All right. So time for me to be real, you guys. I did not know who Dwayne Wade was. I had to Google. Oh, him. hell no. Hell no. Hell no. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. No, I'm out. He can't answer this question. You can't answer this question. Jose, you have you can't answer this question. Yeah, I'm sorry. You've been disqualified. You can't answer this question. Disqualified. Disqualified. Hold on. I I'm a hot mess when it comes to sports. I don't know shit about sports. And so and so I was like, people kept telling me. Dwayne Wade is gonna, you know, he's gonna, he's gonna be uh, putting it on Netflix or this or that, and I was like, who? And they're like Dwayne Wade, and in my mind, in my mind, I thought it was, I thought it was, 
I know what you're gonna say. I, I know what you're gonna say, and I already hate I thought you for it. Was one it. Of and I already hate you for it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I thought it was uh, I, I thought it was one of the dads, and I was like, I was like, which one? I was like, no, like, and then and then I I, I went, yeah, it, it, I'm a hot mess, man. I went, on, I, I had to Google who he was, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I I feel like I just killed this podcast right now. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Okay, okay, you know what? Okay. Let's let's zip it and let's go to Steven. Let's go okay, to Steven. Okay. So, hi. I always knew who D-Wade was. And so what's really interesting, Anthony, is that when Dwayne Wade first publicly announced that Zaya was transgender, it was news for us. It wasn't news for him. But it was so huge that this NBA All-Star, this multiple ring winning icon in national basketball had a daughter that was transgender it was huge to me it was huge because it just takes one person that can connect to that public consciousness around which movements like this can coalesce and i was like that's huge if we could land i'm talking to hrc like back in the day when it first came out i was like if we could land Dwayne wade that's a game changer that's a game changer my lips to God's ears, because over the course of the next few years, this relationship is manifest. And so one day, Lucina tells us that Netflix has acquired the film and D-Wade has come on as an executive producer. And I was just like, God is good. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. Because it was one of those things where it's like, we really now have the ability to make an impact. The Dads as a film is great. The Dads as a film with D. Wade as an executive producer is going places it wouldn't have gone otherwise. Next Full level. stop. Next level. Next level. And so for me, it was like, okay, this film is going to do things because of that affiliation. And who knows what the next iteration is going to look like, what the next chapter of honest conversations about the state of transgender youth in this country is going to look like because you have somebody like D Wade putting his reputation on for us to get this message out even further. So it's, it's huge. It's, it's really life-changing as far as I'm concerned. No, I agree. I absolutely agree. So I have actually have a quick follow-up on that. So, and hear me out on this, given the fact that Dwayne Wade is executive producer on the dad's, and I'm the self-appointed executive producer of the Parent Advocate podcast. Do you agree that by the transitive property, I am Dwayne Wade's equal, minus the money, athletic ability, good looks, and Hollywood actress wife, of course? So, so what do you guys think about that? Just quick answers, quick answers. Lightning round. Yes. Jose. Totally. Yes. Totally. Absolutely. Yes, I, see I, I see it. I see it. <laughs> Thank you. Right answer. Right answer. We can continue with and, the podcast. And I didn't have to Google your name. <laughs> actually jose you don't want to google my name but that's a whole other conversation we're not going to go there right now we're not going to go there okay okay i've been in a movie too as steven knows okay quite recently all right but we're not going to go there this isn't about me it's about the two of you it's about the dads anyway so what is the most important thing that you hope people who watch the dads and, and we know millions of people are going to watch it because it's on Netflix, because of, you know, Dwayne Wade, because of South by Southwest, because of Lucina. What do you think is the most important thing that you hope that they take away from the film? Jose, let's start with you on that. 
I'm I'm hoping that the film becomes an invitation to a conversation on what support looks like from a parent's point of view. I'm hoping that it it it's it sparks a conversation and the end goal of it would be for people to say I see myself in Steven, I see myself in Frank or Jose, you know, in in each and every one of us that they can see somewhere apart there and just sparks a conversation that 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 moves into empathy and love and that way they you know, they can approach their family members or friends, especially hopefully their kids in a in a in a much more loving way. That's what I'm hoping the film does. Got it. Steven, what are your thoughts? I'm hoping this film teaches parents how to show up for their children, teaches communities how to show up for these children, teaches people what unconditional love looks like and how it manifests itself in the lives of these youth. I think it's so important, as Jose said, that it sparks conversations and it sparks conversations that are not grounded in disinformation and supposition and just all the crap that we've been having to deal with over the past few years. I hope it's grounded in, wow, those six different dudes from six different parts of the country, from six different ethnic backgrounds and socioeconomic backgrounds and religion and political affiliation, all had this unconditional love for their children at the center and were able to show other people what showing up looks like for their children. That's really what I hope people get from this. Because there's so much negativity happening right now. There's so many people spouting misinformed opinions about what parents of transgender kids are doing and what they think and the brainwashing that's going on. And don't none of them know a single trans person or a family of trans people. So they have no idea what we really go through. And it's hard to be in spaces where people are just talking crap and shit about things they know nothing about. And I'm hoping this film kind of fills that information gap and shows people what love looks like. So, and, and this segue is really nice into my, my next question. So you two have increasingly become role models for parents of LGBTQ children who have been your personal role models as you've gone through the process of raising transgender children. Maybe we'll start with Jose. Oh man, and in, in, in regards to to raising uh transgender children, my personal role model has always been Lizette. And I know this might be cheesy because you know uh she happens to be my wife, but um but the way that I've seen her show up with community, not just with parents of transgender children, but how she embraced, how she went and embraced, sought out, made a conscious choice to go and become friends and be part of the lives of adult transgender folks in our community, in our community and elsewhere. To me, that's like, that's sitting in the table. When I hear people doing things, it's like, I, I always separate it into are they doing things for to create change for something for whatever or are they doing things because they're really transforming from the inside out 
you know, and, and to me, it's when you're doing things, you go and you sit at the table with them, you know, you, you become part of their life. You're not just from a corner and, and not that there's anything wrong with it, but I think it's much more powerful. It's, it's, it's much like when people do grassroots uh, change and, or movements in society. It's like, do you want a politician being over here selling their book? That's great. But it's also great or greater to have the politician go and break bread with the people he's trying to help and march with them and be part of their lives. And I see Lisa doing that. That is that is definitely the right answer, you know, just in case she actually ends up listening to this episode. Um, Stephen, what's, what's your answer to that question? That's a really difficult question. And I say that because when Hobbs invited me in, I was alone. I, I didn't have a lead set. I didn't have somebody by my side that I could talk to that was modeling how to raise gender diverse or non-binary or transgender children. I didn't know anybody in my immediate circle who had gay, lesbian, transgender. Like I didn't have anybody that I knew immediately, even remotely, that was dealing with anything like it and i didn't really know people in the public eye who were dealing with anything like this i guess the closest thing to me that showed me how to parent children that were i'm going to say dealing with challenges because i don't think being transgender is a challenge but i think it's the only way to approximate seeing a role model that i could follow and that is my frat brother, Mark Hines, and his wife, Alicia Hines, who have a child who has special needs that I saw go to the ends of the earth for their child. They put everything they had, every sinew of energy into making sure their child had the best care all the time in every circumstance, in every situation. And I had never seen that level of dedication in parenting for a child before them. And so when Hobbs invited me in, it became something that I thought I should be doing. I should be going to the ends of the earth for my child. I should be willing to push through any barrier, traverse any obstacle, fight any piece of bureaucracy or red tape to ensure that he got the care, consideration, and attention that he needed from anyone and everyone. So although it wasn't someone dealing with an LGBTQ plus child, it was something that I could relate to. Somebody just doing what they had to do to make sure that their their child had what they needed. And so I definitely think Mark and Alicia Hines are the people that, that really set the mold for me. You know, we haven't talked a ton in this podcast about race. I mean, it was brought up a, a, a little bit in some of the early answers to the questions, but how do you two feel that it's different for you being parents of BIPOC transgender children as opposed to like your Caucasian parents, right? And 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 this is not in any way, shape, or form to minimize the, you know, the challenges that they're going through, but I do think it is a bit of a different perspective. Uh, maybe we can start with Jose on that. No, um, we're not going to start with Jose on that. Every question you've been start with Jose on that. Every yeah. single question you've been start with it's Jose because, on that. It's because I'm the, dude, I'm you, the catalyst for your answer, Stephen. You, you're a trifling dude. You're just trifling, okay? Really? I'm a that, beast trifling. 
Yo, I'm a we're, trifling. We're, we're here having this like deep conversation. We're all getting no. to our feelings. We're all getting <clears> to <throat> our feelings. No. You know what? You know what? You know what? I'm hosting the podcast. It's my site. Jose, you go first. Thank you. Thanks. Steven, please mute your, your microphone. <laughs> um you know, the 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 experience that I I've 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 had as a immigrant Mexican, Mexican immigrant, which is which is, you know, well, I don't. I don't need to remind anyone how the U.S. feels about about my kind. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, it's 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 challenging, but in no in no way comparable to the experience of being a black person in the U.S. Like nowhere, no. There's there's no. It's night and day. Uh, I have it. I have it difficult. I've had it difficult since I can remember being here for simply, you know, language barrier or or culture or just just there goes that Mexican right there, you know. And so yeah, it's 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 another it's another layer, right? That I think my my white friends who have trans kids probably don't experience probably never experience it's probably the first time some of them probably not to minimize their struggle 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 right uh it, whatever their struggle is but but uh not to minimize it but uh it's just another layer it's probably the first time many of them experience um being uh uh chastised by society you know, when when Lizette and I were talking about how we're going to show up for Daniel, I remember feeling like, oh, this is going to be all right. You know, I've I've navigated this space without without documentation. I've navigated this space without having all things in order. I know how to dwell in the shadows and make it work. And I remember looking at her and be like, we're going to be perfect. This, this is no problem at all. You know, we're going to figure it out because, you know, we, this is what we do. We're resilient. Uh, as as undocumented immigrants or immigrants in general, and so yeah, it's just another layer, you know. It's just another layer. Um, but yeah, in no way some some of the the the, the stories uh, that I know and and that 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 other friends have shared with me that are that are black, the experience is is it's night and day. So with that being said, I'm gonna let Stephen jump on. Now you can unmute it, Stephen. Well, I mean, before before we uh, we turn it over to Stephen, I mean, that is such a unique perspective. I was like, I, I never would have thought about that, right? It's just like I'm used to this. I'm used to you know hustling. I'm used to you know navigating. This is just another challenge. I have experience dealing with challenges. That is a very unique perspective, Stephen. Let me turn it over to you. I don't want to give you my answer now. <laughs> <laughs> you you were just a trifling dude. You were just a trifling trifling dude. Okay. <laughs> I kid, I kid. No, but in all honesty, the intersectionality of these identities of being Black, being immigrant, being transgender or gender diverse or non-binary, it increases the difficulty for navigating life. Notwithstanding what Jose said, because I agree, as a person of color, you become used to operating in the margins operating in the shadow, operating out of those lines of sight that most people have around how to get through and how to resolve certain things. You have to come up with creative ways of getting things done because you know that society is not always kind. Society is not always open. The resources that would otherwise be available for your 
white or your cisgender counterparts aren't going to be available to you because you have these marginalized identities. And so it is challenging. I would be remiss to say, oh, it's it's a walk in the park because it's not. There are circumstances and situations that we've been in that just infuriate me, just absolutely infuriate me, where you're standing in a line waiting to be served and they look right past you when they're being asked to refer to my child by these pronouns and they choose to use other pronouns when they ask you if you can afford the services and do you know how much this costs like the things that you suffer as people of color in this country trying to get care is simply it's unconscionable and yet you must find a way to persevere because you recognize it's not about you it's about making sure that your child gets whatever it is that they need in that moment and that you somehow find a way to work through whatever indignation, injustice, whatever it is that you have to, to make sure that your child has what they need. And so it's it's difficult. I would be lying if I said it wasn't. But it's also, you know, with Black people in this country, kind of, it's it's a, it's a known. Like, we recognize that We've got to run faster and work harder and stay longer, do longer hours and all the things. We have to be superlative while other people can be mediocre. And in the space of gender diverse children, it's that much more difficult. You know, I'm reading this book, The Histories of the Transgender Child, which I absolutely recommend. And and it talks about the fact that black and brown bodies were the means through which Pediatric endocrinologists, gender specialists were able to figure out how to treat these conditions in white patients. Throwaway black bodies were how medicine developed the therapies for white transgender children. And so for me, it's like, but of course, you know, the medicine of gynecology on black women operated on without anesthesia. The Tuskegee experiments, like the medical history was replete with examples of how black and brown bodies were used as essentially petri dishes to figure out how to fix the ills of society. And so in this space, it's really no different. It's just like, you know, as a parent, I'm on the front lines and I'm making sure that I'm dotting all my I's and crossing my T's to make sure that my child gets the best possible care. And it's funny because when once you first started talking about you know experimenting on black bodies, my my mind immediately went to 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 skiing, immediately. So okay, so we're we're pretty much wrapping up here. So I have one final question, um, and it's sort of a two part question. Well, actually, it's a question and then um, an idea that I had that I wanted to get a little bit of feedback on. So the question is: Will Please there be a... me, Anthony? Sorry. <laughs> so the question is. Will there be a dads too? And the thing I want to get some feedback is on was why we're on the subject of sequels. I wanted to run an idea by you. The uncles, okay, hear me out on this one. The uncles, we're going to follow five uncles of transgendered youth on a weekend retreat to Las Vegas because aside from Stephen, black people don't be camping. Okay, we don't be camping. And I would obviously be one of the uncles in the film. So will there be a dads too? And what do you guys think about the uncles? Let's start with Stephen. Damn. Okay. I'm going to answer the dad's two question. That's up in the air. We have to figure out how well the dad's does. 
and Lucina and Dwayne Wade and his production company need to figure out what the next iteration of the dads, if any, actually looks like. So we obviously have been pushing for a full length feature on the dads that gives more insight into each of our individual backstories, our origin stories, like all of that. And so we've been actively pitching these ideas to Lucina, hoping that one of these ideas resonates with either Netflix or D Wade, but it's still very much up in the air. And I'm going to let Jose answer also that question before we go to your uncle's question. <laughs> no, I think, I think, I think Steven nailed it. I was just, I was just thinking about how black and brown people, which is don't camp you guys. Can we do it somewhere else? <laughs> okay. So he's, he's down, he's down with my Las Vegas retreat idea. So, so loving that, <laughs> loving that. So anyway, listen, I think we're going to wrap it up there. I, I want to thank the two of you so much. Jose and Steven, and not just for being a guest on this episode, but also for everything that you're doing. You two are such an inspiration to me. I can't even really put it into words. You know, every time I go on LinkedIn and I see something like the dads or the trans prom or HRC or, you know, Steven getting on a board, or all the things that Musette's doing in Arizona, it, it just really is so uplifting and it's so important. I mean, look, it would be important anyway, but it's even more important given all the vilifying that's happened in the trans community over the last two couple of years. So keep doing what you're doing because it is so important. Thank you again. And everyone, go and see the dads. Get on Netflix. If you have to borrow, you know, your cousin's password or whatever you have to do, like do it so we can get the dads too. So we can get the full lit length dads. So we can get the uncles. <laughs> all that stuff so thank you so much for listening to the parent advocate podcast and we'll see you on the other side bye everybody care, thank everybody. you if you're thinking about harming yourself get immediate support please reach out to the trevor project and connect to a crisis counselor 24 7 365 days a year from anywhere in the united states it's 100 percent confidential and 100 percent free you can get help at the trevorproject.org if you'd like to support any of the organizations working actively to support LGBTQ people, please visit the ACLU at action.aclu.org or the Human Rights Campaign at hrc.org. You've been listening to the Parent Advocate Podcast. Tune in again for another episode.